0: I'm not saying go out there and be a stripper. I mean, if you want to, by all means do it, but like moving out of your comfort zone, moving out of that area where you think that you can't go, that can be very empowering and that can lead you to, you know, that can lead you to places that you never expected. It can expand your idea of the possibilities of um, what you can accomplish in life. I mean, that certainly Mm. is what stripping did for me, you know.
1: Hello, my name is Kay Anderson and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories they created there, and the people that they used to know. This week, we are catching up with Craig Seymour, an American writer, music critic, and former stripper. And we are heading back to the 1990s to find out about his time stripping at various clubs throughout Washington, DC. At that point in time, there was a strange quirk in the zoning laws that meant that strippers could be fully naked and fondled by customers, Whilst a graduate at the University of Maryland, Craig started to write an ethnographic study of the clubs. And what better way to learn about your subject than immersing yourself? We talk all about a number of clubs, which include La Cage Fall, Secrets, and Wet, and all of the experiences that led to Craig writing his memoir, All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, DC. Oh, and before we start the episode, I need to let you know that I finally got my shit together and set up some socials for this podcast. I would love if you could come and talk to me on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. My user handle for all of them is Lost Spaces Pod. Right, shall we get started?
0: I feel like in my generation, sex was like a whole part of the weekend experience. Do you know what I mean? So it was like you went out, you saw your friends, you drank, you then maybe met somebody, and you know something might have gone on. You might have gone home with the person, then maybe you went back to the club or something. Oh, or I mean,
1: you oh you were a partyer then.
0: Um, <laughs> just that whole like. Well, you might need to. Suppose you didn't have a ride. But like, if, but anyway, I don't
1: know. It's like I just have a sex coma. Like I'm just gone. You know, as soon as you've come,
0: (laughs) there just doesn't seem to be that aspect of going to a physical location to be around other gay people, and that sex is sort of a part of that, but not the whole part of that. Because now that you can just order up sex on your phone. It's not a part of anything. It's just when you get horny, you just, you know.
1: It's more transactional.
0: Turn on one of the apps or something and you, yeah. And, and it's just, and that, it's not mixed into anything. I think. Um, but
1: so you're not, you're not saying that like, you're not saying that younger people, the young people nowadays, you're not saying that they are having less sex. You're just saying that it's it, it accessed in a different way
0: they're probably having more because it's because you don't have to wait till the weekend for it to go out or something when you know the hot guys are going to be out or whatever you know i think you basically can get it whenever you want it i also think that they're less um now how can i put this in a way that does not sound awful just (laughs) say it just say it be nasty this, this, this is not even younger people this is but like I mean, I think there was a whole fantasy aspect of um, meeting somebody at a nightclub, something that had to do with like the low lighting. And then they were wearing their best clothes. You were wearing your best clothes. Everybody was kind of like
1: bathed in cheap cologne. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so there was this whole sort of fantasy thing to it. Now, once you got to the person's house and under the track lighting and whatever, <laughs> and everything like that, the fantasy was shattered, you know, in the morning and everything like that. But there was at least sort of that fantasy element involved in initially hooking up where now you go on an app and you just see people's like, um you know, it, the picture could be like their high school graduation. It could be like, it could be... Who are you talking their, to? i use on LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, it, well, I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just... A, People's, all sorts of people's profile. I actually don't even have it, to be honest with you. But um, I'm just, talking about like, even on like Tinder or just whatever, people's profile pictures can be just widely varied in what they represent. And they seldom represent what people used to try to represent when they went out mm-hmm. to a nightclub. So I think a lot of that whole, like, I think people are much, there's sort of more of a realism to sex now in a way where people just are, um, just hooking up with who people, you know, basically are, and they don't need that whole fantasy of the low lighting and the cheap cologne and the few bits of interesting conversation that that person might have. See, um, I kind
1: of view it in a different way, and like the, I think mm-hmm. people now because there is so much choice, people don't make a decision, like. In the, you know, in the olden <laughs> days, before you had that option of, oh, I can just go home and log on to Grindr and find someone there. You'd be like, right, there are 20 people left in this club and I'm going to have to go home with someone. So I'm <laughs> going to have to do the round. In closing yeah. time is soon. And, yeah. and so you would just like, you would, you know, yes, you might settle, but like you would make a decision and you would go for it. And now it's like people can just stay at home and be on Grindr all night and be like... Nah, no one's really ticking all my boxes.
0: I do hear that from friends that um, I've actually never hooked up on an app. <gasps> but um, I do hear that there's frustration from my friend said that there's this frustration where they could be like talking to a guy, um, you know, texting back and forth for hours and hours and hours. And then at the end of it, it's just kind of like, oh, well, now it's late so uh, it was good talking to you good night you know so that there's all this lead up but it never actually leads to sex whereas you're mm. right like at a nightclub closing time's coming there are only about a few people left people tended to pair off so. yeah yeah
1: like you know i i have if i don't do something now i have to wait a whole week till next saturday so i better exactly look, exactly
0: <laughs> exactly exactly um
1: so do you remember then so okay so actually the question i want to ask is when you started going out on the scene, was it like a conscious thing? Like, I want to go to those strip clubs. I want to go to those sex clubs. Or was it just like, I'm going to try everything. Yes. I'm going to go everywhere.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, and no. it was the two driving forces in my life. Um, I would say sex, but more in the sense of like, just liking being in that environment of being like the strip the club environment and just it, being yeah. around like... A lot of naked people, yes. So that's definitely a driver, and then music. So it's like really underground house music. That's my thing, and naked guys are my thing. Unfortunately, there has never been a club that has paired the two <laughs> in, say, like, in any way that been, yeah, <laughs> in any way that has been satisfying. So I was always, I'm always always be bouncing around or going to different clubs for different things so the options
1: are um, men in clothes good music or men naked bad music
0: basically (laughs) yeah i think i think you really hit it very rarely does um i think because you know a lot of the strip club audience too is like older and it's a mix of like older and younger but yet the you know the guys need something to dance to so it's just always the most generic kind of like top 40 crap that just nobody you know it's like inoffensive but it's just sort of like
1: (laughs) yeah yeah just like it's not hitting anyone's buttons but it's not pissing anyone off as well
0: right exactly
1: so then do you remember the first time you went to a strip club
0: yes um (laughs) that was to see because this was also the time you know another thing that's been lost in um sort of gay culture is the gay press and dc had a really active gay press um one of the papers was the washington blade and in the very back of the washington blade they always had advertisements for the strip clubs and it would always tell you which porn star was coming to town to perform at one of the strip clubs because this was at the time when porn stars were like movie <laughs> star you know it was like um so when my favorite porn star who at the time was joey stefano was performing at the Follies, I went to go see him. And that set off a whole lifetime of strip club love.
1: Okay, so I am totally naive. And it's not because I'm a prude. I just don't think that, like, strip clubs are a thing here like they are in America. Um, So what happens when you go and see a strip show from a celebrity?
0: Well, different things. See, and that's why... um, Depending upon the clubs that you have gone to and depending upon the era in which you went, you could have, a, um, a, you know, wildly different experiences or perceptions of what went on. So in the late 80s, early 90s, you could basically, they would get completely naked and you basically could touch the dancer wherever you wanted to. So, like, you know, my hand's been all on Joyce Spano's butt, you know, probably cupped his balls a few times. Um <laughs> Or just whatever, or you would tip and you would you know be able to touch the dancer so, i mean my um, follow-up
1: question was going to be like were you nervous on your first time there but it sounds like that's
0: not going to be the case
1: <laughs>
0: you know yes i think the natural inclination would have been nervous but it was that sort of thing where like you were saying how at the close of the night you know you have to start making a decision it's like When if you've been like jacking off to Joey Stefano for years and he's finally like on a bar in front of you and there are a lot of other people like clamoring toward him and you know you actually have the chance to put your hands on him, you're going to get over your nervousness, push people out of the way and put your hands on Joey Stefano. (laughs) So, you know, I got over the nervousness.
1: I'm so I'm. Uh, I'm picturing those videos you see of people in Black Friday sales when the roller door comes up and everyone like runs through the front door and is like yeah. scrambling and pushing each other out of the way for things. Is that what it was like for <laughs> for certain superstars?
0: It was definitely it was definitely had a Black Friday <laughs> element to it that particular night. Not always because sometimes it's the kind of thing you know. Not all porn stars are created equal, you know. So there was not necessarily a crush for every one but certain ones um definitely there was that sense of like um in fact i even think somebody might have said to me that night like you're not gonna touch get out of the way or something (laughs) you know like if i I was being like the least bit tentative you know like should i touch his balls or you know i was like so um yeah it it was really much kind of um a sort of frenzy (laughs) that's a good
1: were there security guards or is that a really naive question
0: no. No. Not security guards in the club. Um because the area, um the area where most of the strip clubs were was kind of a little isolated and there were break ins occasionally muggings and stuff like that. So there were had been times when the clubs would get together and kind of have like a security guard just kind of like patrol the area, but never inside the clubs. There was never any reason.
1: So no one was protecting Joey.
0: Oh no, no, no. nor did he seem to want protection <laughs> because, you know, with every touch you get a bunch of bills and you know, that's the whole point is to make money. Well
1: yeah, but like I mean, you know, you could get scratched and dry skin and probably did, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um so then so yeah, so so talk me through that first night then. Did you go on your own?
0: Uh no. I went with um my best friend, uh, who ended up being in a relationship with for like seven and a half years and he's just, he's like completely anti, not anti, but he's just completely opposite. Strip clubs have never had any fascination for him. And um, before he's in a relationship now, but before he was in a relationship, he was definitely like an app person. Um, So we're very, very different like that, but um, he doesn't get why you would just want to sit around and look at like naked strangers all night and not necessarily be going home with Mm -hmm. them or anything. And for me, that's just like thrilling, you know, because um, again, I just think that so much a part of my youth involved not looking at guys. So just that freedom is just kind of um, so much a part of me. And, you know, it's just that kind of thing, like what's in therapy, you just kind of keep reliving the same old things or keep reliving the same traumas or working it through. I just think that that's one of those things that's just so, um, uh, and you know, it's interesting because a lot of strip clubs like older, there are a lot of older people and I've always could relate to a lot of experiences for some reason of the guys who maybe came of age like during the forties mm-hmm. or something like that when you really couldn't look at somebody, you know and you really had that kind of thing and we for some reason had the same experience of how um freeing and just how wonderful it was just to be able to like look at nature guys, mm. you
1: know and so do you get do you have that <laughs> feeling when you're like watching porn or is there something about being in that space and sharing that experience with other
0: people uh, i definitely prefer being in the space, but I'm a porn person too, um, because again, before I came out and before I um, could ever go to a club, I would watch porn, you know, Um, I would have to go to those sad little um, video cassette stores and like go behind a little curtain and then go past all of the street (laughs) racks of VHSs.
1: Oh, so you wouldn't do the thing where you, you pretend you're interested in the straight stuff and then, like, after you're warmed up, then you make the line.
0: No, I would I would probably do the thing more like, because usually all the X-rated stuff was behind a curtain. So I'd probably do the thing more of like, oh, let me browse the new releases <laughs> for five minutes and then zip behind oh, the curtain. Oh my, oh Once my, I'm behind the, the curtain, know, and it's just yeah. a bunch of pervs oh, like okay. me. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, too, you know, this was a part of just being... There being kind of like a gay neighborhood, like where I would rent the the tapes would be in a video (sighs) in video store in the gay neighborhood. So most of the people in the porn part were gay, and that was like a you know the majority of the material. It wasn't like I was in some suburb where they're like have um, three bisexual tapes Mm -hmm. and the rest is you know (laughs) straight or anything. But so you'd
1: rent the porn. Sorry this, is, sorry, this is, like, I, sh- I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> Rent the
0: table, like a oh, blockbuster. Oh, wow. Yep. Get a day or maybe a day and a half and then watch it and return it. Or you would copy it <laughs> <if> you, <laughs> video to video players and, and you were a pirate. So, you know? there,
1: but then were, they, mm. were there particular scenes where the film was
0: quite worn? <laughs> uh, not generally, but, you know, like, video cassettes... Are, Video technologies, as people know through apps, you know, they are what they are. So, you know, you might get a little streak going through every now and then or something. um, And I can honestly say I have never once watched a porn film all the way through. You know, I'm totally like, just fast forward, stop, pause rewind, 15 seconds, go back. You know, I'm very much just like a, you know...
1: Yeah, well, who, I mean...
0: Just go right for the... I'm not there for the plot or anything. But there are a lot of people that really are. No, there are... No, really? There are a lot the of what? people, yeah. Because, um, you know, when I lived in Chicago...
1: Because they want to feel emotionally invested.
0: Well, I don't know what it was, but the, in Chicago, the Grabbies, which is like the gay porn awards, mm-hmm. is a big thing. And I would go every year and all these porn stars would come to town and all the fans would come to town too. And they were really like a whole group of fans who would have conversations with the porn models about, oh, you know, and when, in this plot, when you did this and that and what, and they would really be into it. So there's definitely a, um,
1: and and it was non-ironic.
0: No, no, (laughs) completely earnest. And a lot of the porn models would really get sort of, um, you Know, like, choked up if they were to win best actor or something in like you know Cox RS or you know, whatever it was, they would really be, you know, they would get up and give the acceptance speech and thank their oh, wow. agents and everything. <laughs> wow. Oh,
1: because see, I had thought, and maybe it's just because of the porn I consume, but I thought that plot had just like everyone had just accepted that there's no there's not going to be plot anymore.
0: Not so much, and there's a certain, I mean, it's increasingly getting this way. I mean, probably, I'm talking about the era of, like, maybe pre, like, 2013 or Mm -hmm. something like that, Um, when, you know, you were still talking about, like, directors like Shishi LaRue, who were very into, like, how a shot was set up and all this kind of stuff, and certain porn um, companies were known for having better production values than other ones and all of this kind of stuff, you know. It was very, it was a whole thing. Because part of all, this is another thing that people don't get about strip clubs. Part of being a, going to strip clubs, too, and being a strip club regular is developing friendships, whatever you want to call it, relationships with the various dancers. And so you kind of, like, you know, talk to them all the time, get into their stories, their narratives, and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, it's, this whole, it's almost being part of, like, an ongoing soap opera or something. So um, there's that... Emotional connection that's there that um, is appealing. And the thing is, you know, people always say, oh, they're just talking to these people for money. Oh, they're just doing this thing for money. And of course, that's true. But then, there, but there's something just about the nature of human interaction. I mean, if you have a group of people together for a period of time, you know, genuine relationships, genuine um, emotions do develop and you, you know there's some people that I still know from when I used to strip when I was a customer and just stuff like that just because you know for whatever reason you um and I think that part is
1: so just but does talking to them not kind of shatter the illusion for you
0: no it actually deepens it it, it sort of it maybe it's not so much about the illusion and the fantasy because maybe it's about like you're able to talk to a guy that you would not necessarily be able to talk to on Mm -hmm. the street or would even see in the clubs. A lot of the guys are sort of straight identified, so you wouldn't really be having that kind of conversation with a straight identified guy that was completely naked in front of you, (laughs) you know, or whatever. So, um, but yeah, so there was that kind of thing too, and just kind of meeting people um, that you just would not meet in just your regular gay Mm. clubs, just you know, interesting. And then you would watch their journey. Like sometimes you'd be, you'd, there are tons of times that I'd be at the strip club, you know, somebody's first time stripping. And maybe they were sh- considering themselves straight then, but you would see kind of their trajectory and sort of expanding their...
1: Blossoming like a
0: flower. <laughs> Basically. But, you know, this was before you could um, binge things on Netflix. So kind of like being part of watching, a you know, continuing serial, just seeing kind of how people kind of develop over time it's sort
1: of interesting so the the one thing i was gonna ask so you said that um strip clubs were fully nude and that was odd like so i think i've only ever been to one strip club in my life and there was the the, the only memory i have the only memory i have is this guy with a cock ring on and his penis was like purple from from the lack of blood. uh, Occupational hazard, yeah. (laughs) And just feeling like really, um, sorry. (laughs) Just like, just a bit horrified about how purple it was. But he was like, so he was fully nude. So I just kind of assumed that all strip clubs were fully nude. Are they not in America?
0: In America, it's it's, um, regulated like per... I don't even know if it's state but per um uh, yeah I'm pretty sure it's by the by the state. So there can be a lot of different bizarre things. Most places don't allow full nudity. Um most states you have to have on some kind of G-string or jock strap or something like that. Now there are some states where you can be fully nude but you cannot drink. So that's a whole other <laughs> subclass uh. of strip clubs. But D.C. happened to be a um, weird little area where you could be fully nude and you could drink. But (laughs) this was the weird thing about D.C. Um, And these are all laws that came about after Prohibition. But the weird thing about D.C. is that every single bar had to have a fully functioning kitchen. So you could be (laughs) fully nude and you could drink at the location. And if needed, you could make a meal. (laughs) <laughs> or somebody could make a meal for you. But, um, but and that was tended t- t- to be the dressing rooms of any strip club where it was like the kitchen in DC. So
1: so it needed to be fully functioning, but it didn't need to be used.
0: Uh, I, Well, you know, I don't know if that's the case. They, they definitely had inspections and almost every strip club that I know about at some point or another had like, a Sunday buffet uh, taco night
1: with a side of pubes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't think you'd want ideally the customers or the strippers to have taco breath, but you know, I'm not one to judge a kink. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know if they had to have them functioning, but they often did function. And at one of the, um, s- this was like a, more like a, um, porn theater i worked at that had the um, intermission entertainment we would come out and strip but on sundays we would then have to put on some clothes run next door where the where the associated club was get uh, the food for the sunday buffet and then serve the customers the sunday buffet which was always like really um meat and potatoes and things like that i mean really heavy you know sort of like Mama's home cooking type food, which was just so weird. I never ate a thing in any strip club, just for the record.
1: But, but when you were not served, that I'm judging
0: anybody that has, I mean, if you can get a free meal, but
1: you know. absolutely. But how many, uh, like sausage and meat puns were you subjected to when you were handing out the food?
0: You know, not, it was not on, um, Nobody really treated it like with irony or that it was anything weird about it. It was really a very <laughs> earnest endeavor. I mean, they just wanted the...
1: Wholesome Sunday lunch.
0: <laughs> I never heard a meat pun. I never heard anything like that. I mean, it was very, very, you know, above board and <laughs> it's just very ah, taken seriously.
1: <laughs> letting me down, Americans. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so when did you start working in strip pubs?
0: Um, I guess about um two or three years after I started going to them. And it was just the kind of thing where I was kind of fascinated with the experience. And I was at the age where I could still, <laughs> to, you know, sort of reasonably do this um, stripper thing. So I just wanted to give it a try just to say that, you know, just to see what it was like. And I, I, I loved it. I mean, I, it really brought out a side of me that I don't think I necessarily would have ever gotten in touch with had I not done it just in terms of being very, very comfortable, you know, not just being naked in public, but, um, which I would not do now, but I mean, just talking to different people and just kind of doing, I don't almost like being a performer, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that was a side of me. I had never really explored like that. So that was great for a time period. And then it sort of ran its course, and um, you know I'm went back to just being a customer, and I'm I'm perfectly happy with like living the rest of my life in that mode.
1: Uh, so then let's talk about that first time that you stripped. Do you remember the the night? What and what happened?
0: I do, but it was not a night. It was during the day um, oh. because the first time that I did it. I think I was trying to um, sort of ease my way into tripping. So I was, it, I was, I stripped at that theater I was telling you about that had strippers in between the, um, the movies. And so what happens is when you would be booked for that, you would be, um, you would have shifts. The shifts were 12, three, six, nine, and 12. So, and I was, you know, got to know the person that booked the dancers and told him I wanted to try it out. So he booked me for a, a weekend or whatever. And so the first time I ever stripped was 12 o'clock in the day. <laughs> it was midday. And um, I was not nervous about the nudity in any way. It was, First of all, there were only probably like three people in the theater at like <laughs> 12 noon on a Sunday or whatever. But it was more just like, it was more like the mechanics. Like I had never thought about just the very process of like taking off my clothes. You know, it's one of those things that in
1: a sexy way.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I guess, you know how people like sometimes when they go through traumatic injuries, they have to learn how to do very basic things and they become very self conscious of things that we just take for granted. It was like, Okay, how do I lift up my, you know, like I just did not know. Ooh, like, uh, all of a sudden, I, did, you know, I'd been taking, uh, putting my clothes on and off for my entire life. All of a sudden, I did, couldn't, everything just became completely foreign and weird. So my response to that was just to, like, take everything off. <laughs> right away and then just walk into the audience because what we're supposed to do is like take one thing off and dance a little bit and then take another thing off here's you know i guess give a little bit of a strategy and then you walk in the audience to talk to the (laughs) customers and get um tips but i just was like you know this is just feeling too strange i don't even know how a zipper works you know like i'm just taking everything off and then i just ran into the audience and that was it so that was my first uh experience
1: oh so did you get to like choose the song or anything or was it just like the this this film has ended go to the front of the the cinema and take your clothes off
0: well you could choose what song you wanted to dance to sort of it couldn't be like (laughs) death metal or something like that or it couldn't be like you know tupac or something i mean it had to be within a range of First of all, it had to. Be, this was in the CD days, so it had to be within the range of the CDs that the DJ had or that you happened to bring with you. And also, it was kind of like an earned privilege, so I'm not sure that I really had that option the first time I danced. And I don't even remember what the song was, but I know what happened was there were three dancers, so um i'd come out then another dance would come out then another dance would come out and then we would all come out for a set so i do remember that the first time i was dancing in the collective set it was madonna's where's the party i'll never forget that this mix that went on forever (laughs) but yeah but then as it you know it was kind of like then as it went along you could say like oh you know play i don't know TLC creep or whatever you know, and then you can oh, dance that's that a good so that would too. be um yeah I'm not sure I ever actually did but um yeah no but, I mean you could do a back... whole thing
1: with satin pajamas you could have you could
0: have made that work definitely that's a lot of war that's the one <laughs> thing about the de- like you know People also think like, because they've seen Magic Mike and things like that. I mean, nobody put any effort into, well, there were some people, but they were considered kind of strange. But nobody put any effort into, like, the more basic you could look and the more you could just look like you were like a college jock or just, you know, whatever, just, or a preppy college student or just whatever you could just, however, just look like a normal, guy you know normal this guy that somebody oh, oh. might see somewhere
1: just need to be clear we're using air quotes for normal yeah
0: yeah yeah I did use <laughs> air quotes. I, I did definitely have the air quotes um I think I was using air quotes for both of those things but just like your average basic whatever type of person it wasn't about kind of having like some huge fantasy I mean there would be some people with like magician capes and like also <laughs> like wands and uh, maybe they'd uh, have little like I don't know, little bits, but that was not really what people wanted. They really just wanted to think that they were relating to just just your average, um, again, in air quotes, you know, dude on the streets and just whatever.
1: So was there kind of a weird homophobia-type thing where everyone was, like, pretending to be straight?
0: Um, no, it wasn't homophobia so much as I would say it was um, a... I would say it was definitely within the, it definitely operated within the sort of parameters very traditional gender ideas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it, it was, it wasn't really rooted in, the, it wasn't like that mask for mass culture or anything like that. You know, it wasn't really rooted in that, but there was, it was definitely like, and, and again, we were talking about the, we we're talking about like the late 80s and the 90s. So it was just a completely different time. But um, definitely, I think, the more you conform to whatever was considered, like, the masculine gender norm of the time, probably the more successful you were in the club. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of, that changed over time, just as I think um, our sort of culture, just in general, especially queer culture, um, has become kind of sort of more broad about sort of like... um, Non-traditional gender expressions, non-binary gender expressions, and things like that. I, I think there was an aspect of that that kind of came to the club toward the end. But and that was like a lot of the younger dancers kind of brought that element in. In sort of like a punk, we're going to do this kind of way. Like you're, you're not going to make us be conform to your. You know, idea. we're not going to pretend to be like yeah, we're just going to be who we are. um But definitely in the time that I was working in, it was the kind of like jock stereotype or the preppy stereotype or just all of the bad boys stereotype you know
1: and did you find that like conflicting
0: i didn't particularly because that was just the culture that was like the way that the culture was kind of constructed around the times i mean i definitely saw them as um limiting stereotypes certainly but that was the you know the kind of archetypes that you got in the club was the same things you were seeing in the porn, which same things you were seeing in the porn magazines, which were the same things that you were seeing in the, you know, fashion spreads of the gay magazines. It was just, it was just that era of gay,
1: just the accepted norm for the, yeah.
0: You know, just like the clone culture of the seventies and just things like that. It was just, um, th- there was definitely a, um, moment where people definitely tried to be tight. See you know, that's, mm, that's just mm. what it was.
1: Hmm. So I'm I'm a little sad that you didn't like uh, get to pick your own songs. If if you were to do it now, <laughs> well, I did. What I mean, like I said, you... I oh, okay. Well, tell oh, me God. then. Tell me what songs you did.
0: Oh, I don't remember. I, I don't oh. remember. But I'm just saying, like at a certain point, you could like what would happen is like before the set you would go into the DJ booth and like you, I would just kind of flip through the DJ CDs and I'd go, Oh, play that, that, that kind of thing. But it wasn't like my own CD collection. So it was never anything that I was like,
1: like, this is my
0: jam. So did you so, know, that crazy about, but
1: you know, so you're, yeah, exactly. So you don't have like a, a, a memorable favorite song that you love to perform to. No.
0: Um Aww. If anything, <laughs> I kind of remember things that are just sort of like, that were just played a lot. I'm not saying that this, I'm not really like hating on this, but like for, for some reason, you know, I remember dancing to, and I love Frankie Knuckles. Like Frankie Knuckles, like my favorite, one of my favorite DJs. You know, I've saw him many, many times. I love like Frankie Knuckles remixes, but for some reason I danced to Frankie Knuckles remix of Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart, like a lot. <laughs> Very vivid memories. <laughs> Cause it had like that moment when it was like, you know a new song and then it had a moment when it was like a blockbuster hit and then it had that moment when it was just kind of like a classic and it was sort of like you know they were like it was just felt like years of um of that so that <laughs> that, like I mean it's a very
1: it's a very odd song to strip to isn't it
0: Ah. <laughs> uh... I really don't know that, like, it was the kind of thing where you were thinking about the, the.
1: Oh, okay. So you were at Lip syncing then.
0: I mean, more, no, 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 <laughs> no. And, and, you know, sometimes you really could kind of tune out the music and it was kind of like, oh, wait a minute. I'm completely off beat. Oh, wait a minute. Because you weren't even dancing so much. You were kind of. See, it depended upon. On, so for another club that was secret, that was called Secrets, it was sort of like a rotation of where you would dance. So there was a bar. And then there was like a box and then there was a stage and then there was another box and then there was a, and then there was a box during the door. So there was like, so you would make a rotation. So like when you were on the bar, you weren't dancing very much because you didn't want to kick off. You wouldn't kick over somebody's drink, um, which I did many times, unfortunately, but you didn't want to kick over anybody's drink and there wasn't that much space. You certainly didn't want to fall on your ass. So You weren't really dancing then, and then after that you'd be on the box, and so there wasn't really much space to dance, and if you were any good and you were popular, you had a bunch of people around you, so you are more like talking to people and things like that. On the stage, there was more space to dance, but again, you're kind of like walking around. The job was to walk around to the people and try to get the money. The job wasn't really like to, you know, like a a drag performance, um, drag performers can go out and they can kind of like do half the song and then a bunch of people might run up and like throw them a bunch of dollars or something, mm-hmm. and then at the end they'll be showered with dollars. That does not happen with strippers. Strippers, you need to make that money right then and there. People might decide to like not tip, so it's like uh, if somebody's standing there with a dollar, you go and get that dollar and whatever. You know, um, the beat of the song, be damned. You know, <laughs> you just like to rush over or whatever and just get it. Talk to the person and then move on to the to the next person. It wasn't uh, um, a performance at all and you would try to maximize and you would try to minimize the amount of time that you would just be dancing without getting any money you know like yeah. you, if there was somebody if you got on stage and there was somebody standing there you jump on stage and walk right over to the person that was there you wouldn't like i don't know do dilly Eight count, and before
1: you can go over. Oh, see, and I, I think you know. I learned all I know f- about stripping from showgirls, so I think I'm coming at this from the, the complete <laughs> wrong perspective. I'm like, yeah, and then I'd have well, this wrong, outfit on, different. and then I'd be. <laughs> you can tell me I'm wrong. It's fine. Don't be nice.
0: I had like five g-strings, you know, just to, like cu- like um, maybe three pairs of cutout shorts, like. So you didn't spend your whole
1: week choreographing numbers. <laughs>
0: No, no <laughs> not at all. The biggest issue, the biggest issue really was just keeping con- track of socks because socks <laughs> would get very, very dirty. And, you, and it was kind of gross to dance in dirty socks. But even more than that, um, because you know we were completely naked so that the, the customers would put the dollars in our socks, not in our G-strings or anything like that. So the elasticity of the sock... <laughs>
1: would sort would of wear down quickly. start to go
0: bad over time. <laughs> so you would want to make sure, so like at home, you know, when I was packing to go, I would always have to try to make sure that I had a sock that had a good hold. because I wouldn't want to be like littering dollars. <laughs> you know, that's my money. Yeah, yeah. So I would want to make sure that I had, you know, so that was, you know, just something to keep track of. Sometimes I didn't even take them home, honestly. Like if, if they were just like wet and like just filthy with, You know, I would just throw them in the um, kitchen trash can because, like I said, there was a fully functioning kitchen, (laughs) which is very (laughs) weak.
1: And so, like, say there's a stigma, there's still a stigma around stripping uh, and around performing in that way. Were you open with the people in your life that you were doing it?
0: Well, my boyfriend that I live with, yes, because that would be kind of hard to have pulled (laughs) Where are all your sexes? Where are you going every night? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I didn't get, you know, it's kind of thing like um, I have always felt that as a queer person, you know, Mm -hmm. who had to kind of grow up and make my own, you know, I've had very supportive parents, very supportive family and everything like that. But at the same time, my development as a gay man is something I did. Do you know what I mean? It's something, that's an identity I forge with my, looking for my own resources and everything like that. So it's sort of my thing. So I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't have never lied about anything that I've done and everything, but I don't necessarily feel like I owe it to everyone to know every aspect of my gay life, because, because I feel like there are a lot of aspects of gay culture that if you're not a part of gay culture you don't necessarily understand and i'm not really like I don't feel like having to explain all of that to people although that's what i've been doing i guess for the last hour but <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? I have to like contextualize every aspect of what i do and why i do it and why i do, why i am the way i am because i grew up in you know a um heterosexist culture and everything like that so no, I didn't tell it. But it, it, what, so what happens? My parents found out. They knew I was writing a book, and I, you know, would like slowly drop, like, "Oh, it's a memoir," and then I slowly drop, it. "Oh, it's like you know, has a lot to do with my life as a gay guy," and then it's sort of been like, you know, how I would off, how I like go and strip clubs a lot, you know. So it was just kind of like piecing it out there. Not really the because I was like scared of the reaction or anything, but just kind of like to just sort of baby steps and more and and so the deal that i had with my parents cuz i wanted them to at least like read the book because other people i didn't want people to like come at them with unexpected questions not knowing so when the book was in galley form which is like the advance release that send to reviewers i let them read it and i basically just told them that i would answer any question that they had about it but they had to read the entire thing first oh. and understand my journey and understand the trajectory that i went through and then i would answer any questions but i wanted them to at least understand what the journey was my mother completely respected my wishes and did that my father had like a question like by page three or something was like (laughs) email me but he completely did not um sort of respect my wishes but
1: oh but they both like they both were like yeah i'm gonna read it they weren't like actually i don't want to know about this
0: oh yeah yeah oh yeah okay Oh, yeah, they both definitely read it. And you know. ah. And I don't, I'm not the type of person that, you know, I don't bring it up all the time. I, like, I feel no need to, like, necessarily discuss it. You know, it's there. It's a book. You know, if yeah, people yeah. want to read it, it's fine. I used to teach. There were tons of my students that never knew I was stripping, That never knew. They knew I wrote books. They didn't necessarily know what it was about. Um, you know, I just feel like. All of the information about me is very, very out there you know, on the Internet, on Amazon, on whatever. You can find out more than you would ever want to know about me if you want to. So I don't feel the need to be the mouthpiece for that. You know, I don't really need to be my own publicist. If you're that interested, you can just go online and find out and whatever. So um, all that to say to answer your question, you know, I don't really keep any secrets, but I don't necessarily feel the need to. Explain my life or tell people. Well, I guess I did feel the need to explain my life, but and since I did in the form of a memoir, I don't feel like the need to have you to got it out of your system. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Um, so when, um, when did you decide to quit?
0: Um, I decided to quit when I was working as, um, well, that's not really true. When did I decide to, quit? I kept. I kept sort of thinking it was going to be my last time. And I sort of ended it in the same way that I began. So what happened was I stopped working the clubs. Like I stopped being on the bars um, first because that just got to be too much like shift work and just too much of a grind. And I didn't have my own weekends or anything like that. And so I kind of went back to just working at the theater So that was just like one day, but it was just a full day. And I could tell my regulars where I was and they'd show up and everything. And I could just kind of get out of the way. And I still had other, you know, weekend days and everything. Because once you're on a shift, like at a regular club, they really expect you you have to work every weekend. You usually have to work Thursday through Sunday. And then I think that, um, you know, one day I just, it probably was a day, honestly, when I had to serve that damn Sunday buffet, and I just got tired, of like having to like strip and like run, get this nasty, like you know, meat and potatoes food, and serve it up and stuff. And I just think I was like, you know, don't put me on the schedule for next month. And I that just I I just let it go.
1: Uh, it's like
0: I knew I it was. It, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. So I knew it had to stop. It's that I was going to stop at some point. So it just sort of like, I just kind of let it phase out, which so and was so I don't even know that. Um, but I do know this. I do know this. The Follies, which was the name of the theater, they had like, it was some anniversary. I don't know if it was like the 30th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the 10th anniversary, some anniversary. And that was after I had stopped stripping. And they called a lot of the, oh, older strippers back for that night. And I did come back for that night and strip. So I, I think that was the final night. So that was nice for it to be kind of like a, a little bit of a party and stuff. Yeah, yeah the sad day was when they, w- w- was the last day for the clubs. When the um, the clubs had fought all of their battles against the city to try to remain open. And um, the zoning Base, they had changed the zoning laws, so basically, like there was no place for the clubs to relocate. Um, oh, that's harsh. So, yeah, you know, the, so the, they, they they would say, "Oh, you can relocate here," but it can't be between this many feet of a school and this. So, there were literally like no physical locations that where they could locate. Um, certainly, none within that were like entertainment districts or anything like that. So, all of the clubs closed. On the same weekend and i was there for that weekend and that weekend was definitely one that you know you saw people in tears and um it was definitely a a sense of loss and i mean i just remember because at this point i was living in providence rhode island and i actually took the um, train down for the last weekend. And it was just a matter of like, just trying to be present and just taking it all in and just, um, you know, it, just, I mean, I, that's, that was my focus. Just really trying to just be present in the moment. And I did the same old, th- you know, I got a couple of lap dancers. I met some new dancers. I did the, you know, the same old thing and just um, said goodbye. Like, do you ever, I, I don't know that there's ever a perfect way to say goodbye, but it was just like, you know, when I got in my car, drove away, I knew I didn't drive away because I was drunk. But when I got my taxi, this was a Uber and went away. Like it was just a sense of like, you know, just like if it, if it was a movie of just the neon lights of the clubs receding in the distance. And mm. that was the last time I ever saw the block like that and um the next time I was there there was a gigantic baseball stadium you know wow.
1: so just knocked everything down
0: everything like not even wow. it's there's no remnants of what was um
1: so then so the final question that I have for you is what do you think DC has lost now that it's lost those clothes
0: um it has definitely lost a sense of um cities were much more sexual in the 70s and 80s to the extent that like if you went in certain neighborhoods of big cities you knew where sort of the quote-unquote red light districts were or where there were porn theaters and things like that and there were advertisements for them and there were you know Nude, nude, nude would be Mm. in like, you know, and neon lights and stuff like that. Again, the the strip clubs were all um, in concentrated in a particular area of DC, all within walking distance of each other, and it it was right within like you could see the Capitol and everything. It was right near downtown. It wasn't really a sense of hiding it in any Mm. sort of way, and it was just it was just part of city life, you know, um, where I think now the whole idea of city life has become much more sanitized and the kind of like a CD is such a pejorative word, but, um, just that aspect of the city that was like where like sex work would happen and just things like that. And that was just kind of an accepted part of city life. I think there have been increasing efforts just to, do away with that. And I think in many cases, it has less to do with morals than just real estate, you know, as cities mm-hmm. become popular again and become, re- and become gentrified again, people just want the space, you know, so um, where the strip clubs used to be, there's now a big soccer state. I mean, a big um, baseball stadium. Okay. I get the sports confused. Uh, <laughs> <there's a big laughs> baseball stadium. And, um, but the point being, it's the big space it's, it's big sports stuff there now <laughs> and sports related, Uh, businesses and there are these luxury condos and everything. It's just completely been abolished. And the weird thing about it is, um, you know, just with the history of colonialism and things like that, you know, sometimes when a complete culture is wiped out, we've had the sort of, you know, sometimes you can see little plaques like this used to be a marketplace for blah, 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 blah," or, or something that, um, references the history of the people that used to occupy mm. the space before it became such a commercialized place. But, you know, that won't happen There'll, There's no plaque that said, you know, on this ground, people used to, you know, play with themselves <laughs> for dollar bills or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Like, that won't be, uh, that's missing. So, um, How do I say this? I mean, it it lost a queer aspect. And by queer, I don't just mean gay. I mean, like, you know, the sexual part of the city, the sex workers, the people who liked going to, you know, um, strip clubs and things like that. Just Because it was not just the strip clubs. It's just like, it's sort of like the sanitization of the city of anything that had to do with, um, with sex. And, like, sex has kind of gone, the the sexual side of the city has gone underground, or it's become digitized through the app. And it's just a different age, you know, it's just a loss in in the sense of historical time. I mean, I'm not the type of person that thinks that things necessarily are meant to last forever, you know, um, whole civilizations fall, you know what I mean? So it's not like, so of course, you know, strip clubs are going to close probably, but it's sort of, definitely is the end of the city as being a very, a kind of uniquely queer space amidst these institutions of federal power, which was just a really interesting dynamic. You know, mm. it's just really interesting that there were these permissive openly queer, openly sexual places that were right amidst these buildings where people made decisions that infected, that infected, <laughs> that <laughs> affected the, um, infected you know, the works. entire country. And yeah. that's just that, yeah, yeah, just that whole dynamic was just kind of interesting, and that's, um, and so that's different. But, you know, I'm glad that we have, like, podcasts like yours and stuff like that. I mean, it is so important because this is the type of history that most people don't even think that's important to record. And, you know, I was reading something recently just talking about um kind of African-American history, and a lot of what I do is write about Black music and stuff. And it's sort of like you live through a period, and what you often find is that you have to document things that you never felt like you would have to document, Mm -hmm. that you just felt like that would be a part of history. That's just something that was or something that would endure. But you find yourself at a certain point being like, wait a minute, this entire thing is becoming lost. This thing has to be documented. Um, And you were never thinking about that during the time, you were just living your life, you know?
1: Do you have any memories of clubbing in Washington DC? Have you ever stripped for money? Do you have anything to say about this episode? Well, anyway, for any of those reasons or anything else, I would love to hear from you. So why don't you get in touch? I am on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, and my username is Lost Spaces Pod. You can also find Craig on Instagram and Twitter with the user handle Craig's Pop Life. And since you're on the internet, why don't you go and buy one of Craig's books while you're at it? There's All I Could Bear, which is the memoir we discussed in this episode, but he's also written a biography about Luther Vandross called Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. I'll make sure to include some links in the show notes for this episode. Lost Spaces is not only a podcast but a concept record as well. I have been writing songs about queer venues and the people who used to live their lives there and will be releasing songs over the next year. You can hear the first single, which is called Well Groom Boys and is also playing underneath my talking right now, on all streaming platforms. If you liked this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on Apple Podcasts, or just told people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen too. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces.